Welcome to Spotlight On, your Griffith College alumni podcast. We are delighted to welcome Dennis Cronin, who studied a BA Honours in Business Studies with Griffith College, graduating in 2019. Today's podcast will shine a spotlight on Dennis's academic and career achievements to date. Dennis is an accomplished event organiser, digital marketing executive and podcast host. Dennis hosts the Dinny Crow Show and has also recently organised the Miss Mayo and Miss Sligo beauty pageants, ensuring that the events were COVID secure and socially distanced. Dennis has also rebranded and relaunched the Miss Galway beauty pageant earlier this year. So welcome, Dennis, and thank you for coming on to the podcast. Oh, well, thank, thanks so much for that lovely introduction, Alex. Uh, I really do appreciate it. <laughs> um, it's, it sounds a lot weirder than I thought when, when you do hear, hear someone describe it as, as that. But uh, yeah, I've kind of fallen into the, the beauty pageant industry uh, almost by accident there over the last year. So it's been one of my main focuses, uh, weirdly, before and after the lockdown. So it's, uh, it's, it's a weird thing to be involved in. It was strange at the start, but it's, it's, it's gotten even a bit wackier with the with the COVID guidelines and stuff having to be adhered to. So kind of keeping people two metres apart from me is, is a, a new phenomenon to be working with, but uh, one we're well able for now at this stage. <laughs> it's, um, it's a very interesting achievement and something obviously that, that has been a challenge in the current climate. So I guess if we, we kick off there and we'll, um, we'll, we'll see where the, the natural flow of the conversation takes us. So, so what made you get into the, the beauty pageants and, and how did you end up in that space, I suppose, to begin with? Um, well, to be honest, yeah, I kind of I I fell into it just more through um, my my friends. Uh, a friend of mine, Patrick McLochney, he runs the the Limerick Heat, and I, I went to the Limerick Heat Heat last year while I was uh, doing my masters in Galway, and I I thought it was really well done, and I just said to myself, God, why why isn't this a big thing in in Galway? And I looked into it and there was a heat, but there was only two girls in it the previous year. It had kind of really lost its rhythm over the years. It, it used to kind of be a big draw, have a lot of kind of entries and stuff and a lot of kind of media spotlight on it. So I just said to myself, Do you know what? There's definitely a gap there. And Galway, like as everyone knows, is such a cultural hub for everything. And there's a kind of a love for events and stuff up there so I looked into it and I suppose I was very fortunate I was I was working with the the Skeff Bar and Skeffington Arms Hotel in Galway that I was able to kind of negotiate to get a venue for the event or whatever after securing the licenses from the guys in Dublin and just I suppose look, I, I kind of I was in the middle of doing my masters I wasn't really working part-time enough I was doing a lot of freelance work and I just said to myself Do you know what this is something that I can manage alongside my studies and it'll enrich what I'm already doing in college, uh, which it did because we'd say the stuff I was studying at the time uh, in digital marketing, I was applying directly to the, this project that was funding the, the actual undergrad or the, the master's itself. So it kind of all fed in a, a lovely little cycle there for myself. But um, no, it was, it, was, it was a big learning curve as well taking on that project because I, I hadn't done beauty pageants before. I'd done other kind of uh, events where you'd have guest speakers and whatnot, but kind of looking into an actual comp competition structure, going out and figuring out how we're going to market this to an audience that necessarily don't um, know about it. And maybe you're saying, oh, you know, that's that thing that no one's into or whatever. So making it kind of cool again, I had to do a full rebrand on it, trying to envisage the customer journey almost uh, of the, the girl this entry, so yeah, I, I and I was lucky as well. Look, I had I had an amazing team that work on it, and I, I suppose with that, like 
having good teamwork skills and being able to like trust people and like delegate the work uh, is, is so vital as well. So when you got a good team around you, I would say that that was one of the, the big things. And as well, my, my buddy Patrick in Limerick did help me a lot. He kind of gave me his blueprint of how he did it in Limerick. And then I just kind of like deconstructed it and put it back together in my, my own vision as well. And just kind of made it way more like uh, online. So I really doubled down on like the Instagram and the Facebook uh, marketing because I like that's that's where that audience is and kind of understanding that's that's who you're trying to sell to is is was the key to it really. And we've done the same with the Mayo and Sligo ones in a even more digital way post uh, the lockdown, which is uh, which was great. And we we pulled it off there last week, which was mad. <laughs> yep, well done, a really really great achievement. So um, I guess from there, you know, my first question would be: um, you managed to get the the Galway one through. Um, was that before COVID? It was actually the week before lockdown. Uh, it was like, it was, it's such, thinking back, because it was only, it was the the 6th of March we had the final. It was a Friday night. And the following Thursday was when the Leo Varadkar made his first big speech on the pandemic. But like, even at that time, we were so unwise to what this whole pandemic thing was. Like I was, we had over 250 inside in the room uh, at this event. And it was, fine there was no one there was not really like I, i'm pretty sure we even made a joke at the time about covid19 because we, we we genuinely didn't think it was going to be something that would affect us massively but then like the following friday i was driving home to cork for three months which is which is very surreal and it, like i just was so perplexed that i think a lot of people are in shock and myself included because i was like oh my god i, I hope no one had had the virus at the event because like just hand sanitizer and stuff wasn't even a thing like no one no one used hand sanitizer uh for that but thankfully there was there was nothing there was no outbreak came from it or anything but it was just it was like a different world completely to what we're living in today uh we'd say like one of the, the key things that i had to do for the mayo and sligo one was not only manage all the public health and safety guidelines make sure all the girls were adhering to social distancing at all times but like make sure like the venue would be able to uh, facilitate, we'd say 30 plus girls socially distanced. No, we were very lucky with the Royal Theatre in Castle Bar. They were able to do that. But um, no, the, like the, the health and safety side of it, it was one of those, those things where you'd uh, pre-lockdown, you'd say, oh, you know, make sure everyone's going to be safe. Whereas it's the only main thing that you're thinking of post lockdown really um because you just can't have another uh incidents like golf gate or anything like that um because you'd never recover uh like your name would never recover and i'd never be able to do another one and uh thankfully we were able to do it and avoid any pr nightmares or anything like that as well how, how did you first come about um running those two events in in mayo and sligo um, well, actually, like, I, I, this makes me sound like a madman, but uh, the Friday I was driving home to Cork after Varadkar shut down the, the country effectively, I said to myself, uh, do, do you know what? No, the, the way this, it, this is how my mind works. I actually saw the opportunity in it because I knew I, I, at the time I could, I wanted to do the Mayo one because my, my friend is based in Mayo and he had said to me, oh, geez, we should do one in Mayo next year. And I said, oh, we will definitely, whatever. But because of the lockdown, I knew the final, the Miss Ireland final couldn't happen. And I knew it would be pushed out. So I said, 
oh, and I, I knew I'd be finished my master's because it, it, there's, a, there's a lot of work in it. And I suppose that was one thing I, I didn't realize when undertaking the Galway one, the amount of work I'd actually had to put in. So I said, you know what, if I was to do another one now, I need to either be like completed college or like have a, a kind of a bigger team working with me on it. And once the lockdown happened, I was like, you know what, this hopefully will come out. I'm going to ring and see, can I get the Mayo license for this year? And no one was doing the Mayo one. And when I rang, they said, oh, look, we, we, we're looking for someone to do the Sligo one. Will you do that as well? And I said, Ira, you know, they're, they're kind of close enough. I think there's an hour between Mayo and Sligo. So I said, yeah, I will. And uh, so during, I kind of, I kind of put the name out there at the, the first week of the lockdown, which was mad. But we even, I got a sponsor straight away for the event, which was insane. Um, during the lockdown, we, we actually got a, a, or the, the gym that sponsored the event uh, came on board and said, hey, I want to I sponsor this event. I said, okay, perfect. So, uh, and she, she was great to work with. But we actually had three or four girls sign up during the lockdown. And just as the country started to reopen again, I was finishing off my master's bit by bit. And they were starting to cross over a bit more just with the kind of work I was doing in college again and marketing this stuff. But once I realized I could get the venue, which we, which we did through my, my friend in Mayo, uh, we just we went hell for later with it. And the, the Mayo one particularly, I had more girls enter after lockdown. Uh, the Mayo one in the Galway one in total um, there was over 100 girls applied with the Mayo one because we made it such hype around it but like the, the, the key thing with it is making sure that everyone that we'd say doesn't win and like doesn't play this says to their friends and family oh do you know what it was a great experience I mean like because I think a lot of people when it comes to these beauty pageants would think oh it's going to be a real catty affair all the girls be fighting but it's kind of weird having kind of lads run them there's way less of it anyway and I don't think, th I think there's very much clear communication that like, this isn't the type of thing that you'd see on, in a movie. This is very much a kind of a, a family friendly, everyone's a winner type of environment. And mm -hmm. that's, that's what we, we kind of go off. And I suppose I was involved with the Cork Rose of Tralee Festival, which is a completely separate um, kind of pageant, I guess. But th th when I was involved with that as a, as a, what would you call it? Uh, Oh my God, what's so escort? I was an escort uh, for the Cork selection. I realized the Rose of Tralee, there's a lot of kind of like niceness and all the girls feel part of the clique. So I really brought that on board the events I was running because it is the type of thing that when like you are being judged to a certain degree because it is a competition, making sure that everyone leaves feeling like, you know what, I am a winner. And that's how we like to do it. And I suppose that's the best compliment to all the girls were so nice they gave me a lot of cards and presents and stuff at the end because the, the team and myself were so nice to them and they had such a good time which which really was nice as well because like when you're running these things you do become close even though we we're all socially distant so it's it's great to see them all grow and stuff but um no it was it was very different and like having no audience and stuff at the final we had we streamed it and that was that's how we connected with the audience and stuff um so all the friends and families were able to watch safely at home. And we were a bit worried that we'd have a kind of a crowd gathering outside the venue, but thankfully that didn't happen because we warned them not to. But like these type of things are so irrational, but like they're really a, 
a possibility now. Sure, all their friends and family will want to see them straight away after they come out. But I, and uh, th- thankfully we're all good. But uh, no, it was it was very surreal doing it. I uh, hope I answered your question there. Yes, you did. I, answer, answer. It was um, very interesting uh, to to hear how you, you put that together. So I guess if we go on to kind of the rebranding, so there's this kind of a, a, a view of pageants, I guess, that, that people have a predefined view. So when you've, you've taken these events on, it sounds like you've worked very much in, in, you know, the 21st century to market them to the, the audience that you're, you're trying to get through to. So how did you brand them and how did you change the, the branding and the perception that was behind it? Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's a really fair point. I, I think when, when it comes to all these pageants and stuff, um, a, a lot of the stigma and stuff comes from whoever is running it because if you do put in, we'd say that you're looking for a certain type of girl or some type of limitations that way, it, it obviously isn't the way to do it because there's all shapes and sizes there now. There's all different heights and, and whatnot. So really making sure it was as inclusive as possible was really important for us in, in whittling down who the finalists were. But not only that, I, 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 I think and I genuinely do believe that the the Miss Ireland organization as a whole is very much kind of a bit more progressive than a lot of the other pageants. And they're like governed by a crowd called the Miss World. I won't bore you with that. But the Miss World crowd, because they're dealing with so many different cultures and countries, some of the rules are a bit outdated in that sense, which would say myself and my team, we mightn't agree with, but we have to play by those rules, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, just making it as progressive as possible, making it as much fun as well for the girls as possible, and just trying to make it seem that, like, look, you don't have to be that six-foot catwalk model. You, you can just be, like, a normal person, and your voice is equally as important as anyone else. And, like, to be honest with you, when I hear the winners announced, I'm always a bit shocked because they're not who I would pick myself, which is why we get the, the judges externally brought in. And I think that, that was... That was one of the reasons I think that the events have been so successful. And we haven't got, we'd say, a backlash off sour grapes. There's, there's no sour grapes with it because the girls that we'd say don't place, they actually don't feel they've lost, which is great, if that makes sense. And um, just making it cool. Like, I, I think a lot, of, a, a lot of things can be whittled down to, like, particularly the audience we're looking for is, like, between 18 to 25 that are girls if you can make it kind of a cool thing for them to do and make it a proper experience it's not just like a cash grab where you're oh look i'll take your money turn up at this day walk the catwalk and it's over we really we made it um we actually made it a kind of a three-stage uh process so we have an orientation night where they all meet each other a launch night where we get all these kind of fancy photos done and it's kind of a night out and then the final itself so like and you spread them across, we'd say, a six-week period, it's a proper experience then for the girls. Now, mm. the one we did um, in May on Sligo, it was a very different thing because we couldn't have the big party that you'd have at the launch night that you normally would, which is always a bit of fun. Just kind of making the, the, the best version of it was really important. But like the Instagram marketing of it was hands down the, the key to making it cool again. Because when you can... like. Um, what's the word for it? Like shine a spotlight actually to use the phrase you were saying earlier, shine a spotlight on each of the girls every, every week or whatever throughout. Um, it, it really does, it boosts their confidence, but it also makes the thing really, really cool because everyone will want to be part of this because, whoa, 
you know, that means it, it's kind of, um, it's creating a tribe is, is the right term to use. We kind of created a tribe that like, yo, you're a finalist now, you're, you're part mm. of the, the, the inner circle or whatever. And just creating a community that, like, it's a cool thing now to be part of the, the Miss Mayo finalists or whatever. And, and it is. And kind of keeping in touch with the girls after, seeing how they're getting on is always good as well. Very interesting. That's very, um, it's an interesting concept. And, you know, kudos to you for, for pulling that off in, in the current climate as well. So I guess if we, if we just pivot slightly, because you're not strange to, or you're not a stranger to, uh, to events. You've, you've hosted your own event, haven't you? The, the Cork Lift Fest. Yeah, and I, I suppose that that's where my event history would have uh, began. I, I, I ran that. God, that, that's a good while ago. No, it's a good couple of years ago. But that was my first um, type, type of uh, event, really. And it was, it, was a con- it was a combination of just, we'd say, the kind of, I was doing the YouTube interviews, the Ginny Crow show, and I was interviewing all these amazing people. And I was like, Do you know what? Like, each of these people have such kind of a good message. And they all very much on the, the, the similar wavelength. So I just kind of got them all together, did a kind of a live version of my show, and we, we raised some money for charity, which, which was great. But it, it also allowed me to really kind of cut my teeth looking back on the events industry, figuring out how to even host the thing. You know, and like a lot of these things, you'll only ever realize how to do them when you try and you either sink or swim with it. And thankfully, I've been kind of swimming most of the time. But like we'd say, I did, like one of my biggest regrets was that I actually did treat them so close to each other. I should have made it an annual thing, but I, I kind of got caught up in the kind of idea that like, oh, this always gave me something to aim for, if that makes sense, in terms of like a social media personality or whatever, which at the time I was kind of going for, but figuring out like i did three of them we raised loads of money for the charities but just the experience started to dwindle because there wasn't a whole pile of extra people that you could keep adding because there's only so many of these kind of inspirational people out there in my eyes anyway that that i had social connections with Mm -hmm. and i i did feel i kept trying to make it bigger when i should have tried to make it more of an exclusive once a year type of thing or even biannually um but no it was really good and like looking back everything's an experience that you learn from and like you can never stop trying something new because you you just get better and better at it so like that 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 allows me particularly when i'm hosting these live pageants now i have the experience of working in a live setting i know how to do it you know so it's it's there's always pluses even though there might be a negative or two there as well yeah, and it's it's all a learning curve, and um, you mentioned it there, the the Dinny Crow show. So, you know, my apologies for going out of kind of chronological order, but that's where we're heading to. In the next question, is is you, you put together your own? Um, is, is, would you call it a podcast or a series of interviews on YouTube, or how, how would you have described the Dinny Crow show? Um, I I would describe it as a talk show because I suppose. I, I used to watch uh, Graham Norton religion, religiously at home with my family. And I used to say, God, like, doesn't Graham Norton have such a good, uh, a nice job there? And I said, do you know what? There's definitely people you could do on a more kind of local base. And I was actually up here in Limerick at the time. I was, I was, actually, I was actually after transferring into Limerick to, to finish to do my degree. But I started on the radio with the Danny Crow show and... Do you know, I, I, I just, I started off doing that and I actually enjoyed that so much. I started enjoying the actual college a, a bit less. So I moved back to Griffith at the time because it was actually quicker to get my undergrad. And I just thought the learning experience was far better because it was a smaller setup or whatever. Mm. And it, that suited me. But when I moved back to Cork, 
I had the Dini Crow show started where I was interviewing people on a weekly basis. And I, because Griffith is ideally based in the city in Cork, I was able to use that as almost my my studio at the classrooms. Uh, they allowed me to to film in in the classrooms. So a lot of the, the kind of later stuff is filmed either in whoever the guest is home or in Griffith College in Cork. Um, but it was it was ideal because I was able to sit behind the teacher's desk or whatever and chat away to the, the guests. But it, it was really great. And I it's one of those things where it allowed me to develop a social network that you couldn't buy because weirdly I'm after ending up back here in Limerick now this week, I'm after moving back to start a full-time job. But like I still have the same friends that I would have had through the Dini Crow show and they were gone on to amazing things. And actually, during the lockdown, I started up the Dini Crow Show podcast as a business and marketing specific podcast, which you can check out now if you are listening to it. But like, I was interviewing one guy who I had interviewed like three years prior. And it was just amazing if, because if you watch the two interviews back to back, he says in it, Oh, I'm going to start this food business or whatever. And then, no, he has this food business and he's like a TV chef. So it's just, it's amazing you to, to kind of almost document someone's journey uh, without really knowing it at the time. And even looking back now, I, I kind of cringed at a lot of the stuff I did, particularly at the start. But I, I leave it up there because it's, it's a great reminder of like how far I've come. Like some of the stuff, particularly the first few episodes, we didn't have a clue what we were doing. But it was just, it's one of those things that where you throw enough mud at the wall, something will stick. And you just get better, like, because I hear a lot of people get on to me about, uh, oh, I want to start a podcast and I want to do this. What should I do? I'm going to wait until I have all the equipment and all that sort of jazz. Like, you, you could be waiting for the rest of your life to be doing that if you want to wait for everything to be right. A lot of times you just have to go out and have a go off and see, see, see how you get on. Because, like, I, I saw, I think, I think it was on Instagram a couple of months back or even a year ago now. It said something like, oh, your first podcast is going to be really bad, but your hundredth will be really good and you you can't get to the 100 podcasts without doing the first one and like it's so true it's the same same with everything like the more you do it the better you get and um no it was getting back to what you were saying like the Dini Crow show it allowed me to grow in confidence so much as well and I think it kind of ties in nicely with the career path I have now with marketing because be particularly particularly digital marketing because like if you can communicate well online and you can communicate a message or whatever the the thing you're trying to market online well now like that's where everything is going the lockdown is even showing that if a business can't adapt to online selling right now you're probably going to go out of business realistically because mm -hmm. it's it's such a powerful stream and it's it's importance has only been shown like even zoom no one had even heard of zoom before the the, the lockdown whereas you have people now and it's there's an innovation to it that you know you just, you have to keep going. And I, I, I do think that my confidence and me as a person, my personal growth has developed exponentially because of the Dini Crow show. And I get a bit of a slagging here and there. Like if I see someone I interviewed a few years ago that I, I'd be like, oh, geez, why did I interview them? But like, it, it was just one of those things where like, I kind of, I'd be well known from it without being like a celebrity, which is ideal for me because I, I actually hate when people come up to me and say, ah, oh, whatever. Like I actually prefer to kind of be in the background a lot of the time, but I, I kind of like the, the idea of the notoriety more so than the notoriety, if, if that makes sense. It, it showed me that as well completely. I, I would like to be on TV. I've actually turned down a TV show 
during the summer. But you know what? I, I don't want to be on that TV show or whatever. It's I'm, I'm, I'm happy with what I have, which, which is great. That's very interesting. And um, yeah, you mentioned uh, turning down the TV show there. I, I won't ask what TV show it was for, for obvious reasons, but um, what kind of what kind of role was it? What kind of uh, what, what were they asking you to, to do? Was it host or? Yeah, well, no, if it was a host, I'd probably do it now. Not a matter of no, it was um, it was like it was kind of a it, it was actually a dating show. It was kind of a reality kind of TV dating show. It was not Love Island. I, I don't think I'd be able to turn down Love Island, but uh, it was more of a, an Irish kind of it was only one episode, but I was actually looking at it and it, it's such a weird thing now because this is actually touch on something else. But the, the way the whole online thing has gone, particularly on Twitter, you see now like. Going on a dating show a couple of years ago would actually have been a great thing for someone like me because it would have given you maybe an extra boost in terms of like you might get a job out of it or you might get, I don't know, a bit more work or whatever as a, as a host. Whereas now it actually has the complete opposite effect. You go on that type of platform now and you're going to get absolutely slated regardless <laughs> of whatever you do, whether you're good, the bad or the ugly in it. Like it doesn't matter. Just someone will have something awful to say about you. And more so for me, the reason I turned it down was because it would undermine all my work uh, forevermore. And it's, you're no longer, oh, he's the guy that runs those events, Mayo, Sligo, and Galway, or he's that digital marketing guy. He's, oh, that's that guy that was on that TV show and he did this or he didn't do this <laughs> or whatever. So it's just, it's, it's, it's such a double-edged sword when you think it's actually a great thing, but it really isn't. And it could absolutely ruin you career-wise because when you go for a job interview, if if your man is like, oh, "Aren't you on that?" That thing, like, you know, so like, uh, that's why I turned it down. But it, it is um, sometimes you can be careful what uh, be careful what you wish for because you just might get it, and that's very much uh, what me in this case. Uh, but I've turned them down, and they, they even got on to me afterwards to see would I be someone to go on a date with one of the people on it. But I turned that down as well. Because it just it, it doesn't appeal to me, even though I would have back a couple of years ago, I would I would have bit someone's hand off for it. Um, <laughs> it's funny, I, I must be maturing some bit. <laughs> well, you know, good for you in, in sticking up for your principles there. Um so I guess if we circle back um just to the, the relaunch of the Dinny Crow show, you, you mentioned that you're going in a different different avenue and you're going is is it gonna be a different concept now and, and is it gonna be more marketing based uh, based or is, is there what's the plan basically? Yeah, so during the lockdown, I, I actually started it back up with the with the business and marketing podcast because I really did feel that the Dini Crow show on the YouTube side of it was great because it was such a generic talk show. But the problem with that is it's so generic, there's no niche in it. So you're actually not targeting anyone in particular. So what I did was I said, you know what? I'm a master student now in digital marketing. That's what I'm into. I'll just target people that are like me, that want to hear and listen to people's thoughts on Instagram, Facebook, or whatever, and, and marketing in general. So I did. I think I did six or seven episodes, six episodes of it, put it up in you or on audio, and yeah, I just I I haven't really got around to getting back to finish it off. But I suppose that's a season in itself, the six episodes, and maybe there now once I settle into this new job, I'm going to start. I'll uh, I'll get back to it, but. It's it's a it's a very weird space because I, I I think there's only so much you can cover with it at times without completely baffling the listener. And I, I think that that was one key bit to it that I was trying to 
kind of keep it that if my mother was listening to it in the car, she'd understand what we're on about. Mm. And because a lot of people, if if you're not kind of well versed in it, you won't get what the hell someone's on about. So I really try to keep it as user focused and friendly as possible. And a lot of the people that I did interview on it were kind of just my friends anyway, that I, that I knew had a kind of a cool aspect of marketing. I interviewed a couple of social influencers as well, the social media influencers. They, they were really interesting because we'd say, like, that, that's something I deal with the whole time. They're the, the types of people you're working with when you are doing these interviews or whatever. And, and even with the, the pageants, the judges are, are often the social media influencers where it, within the local county or whatever. And it's like, you've got to be able to, to balance the egos and all that sort of jazz because, and it's, it's, it's definitely a skill I've developed over the years, particularly between interviewing the crowd for YouTube, the podcast and, and the events. You meet a lot of different people and everyone's a big deal. And you, you kind of, you, you have to stroke a few egos when, when you are, especially when you're putting them all together, it can get a bit, uh, a, a bit messy, but no, it's, it's, uh, it's been a great thing. And it's, do you know what? It's, it's one thing I can put on my CV that no one else will have. And it's, it's, that's one thing I would say to anyone that is listening to this, that wants to enrich their CV or anything like that, go and do something that no one else can say, I can do that. There, there's no one else that will have that on their CV. And it not only, I don't have to say I'm a great decision maker or I'm a leader or anything. Like I'm, I'm running these events. I'm clearly good at leadership roles. And, and so, so like, I, I do think a lot of people when they're like talk is cheap at the end of the day with, with a lot of things. So you, you kind of got to back it up constantly. And uh, yeah, no, that, that's, that's possibly the, the best thing about the Daily Crow show was that it enriched the old CV exponentially. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've, you've touched on a couple of points there that um, are very interesting. So the first I'd like to just, just pull out of there was the fact that um, using multiple experiences in you know job interviews is is better than you know as you said talk is cheap um uh, and, and i think that really really highlights it and the other thing is the fact that when when i look at all the different things that you've done it's it's really interesting it's almost like a tapestry of different events that you've, you've managed to put together and build you know over time and, and grow and you can see the growth through time through them so it's more did you do that um organically or was that something did you always know that you didn't want to go down the the path that was get a job straight after college and, and just do the, the nine to five side of things? Did you want this experimental time or, or, you know, was it just through you know, curiosity that you found this? Yeah. I, do you know what? Look, to be honest with you, it was com completely unplanned, but I, I think I've always been one of those people that I was never just going to go into a nine to five job that didn't suit me or anything like that. And I, I like the idea of being my own boss and stuff, but the practicalities of it, I, I just don't have the right amount of experience at this point in time. So I don't mind now, and particularly with the marketing and role, the kind of corporate side of that, getting more experience in that is what I'm doing now at the moment. But looking back, things really do all happen for a reason. There was It was kind of unorganized chaos, but somehow kind of turned into organized chaos. But like weirdly like using linkedin properly as well to like actually document all, all the stuff you're up to it pays dividends because like you're saying there like you can look back and actually see me do all these different things uh, but like i would say like the modern employee in the modern marketer or whatever content creator you want to call it you got to be a bit of a jack of all trades and that's something i am 
I can do a bit of everything. I can do the video. I can do the whatever you name it. I can do it. And I, that's hard to to beat when you are in a job interview. That look, I I mightn't be the best at PPC campaigns, but I know how to do it. I mightn't be the best at video, but I can I can do it. And like when you can do a bit of everything, it it, it is really really good for you. And to go back to your point, I did like when I did finish up uh, college with Griffith back in January 2019. I was I actually was working a job as a ho- like as a waiter in a hotel throughout all of this. I actually never stopped working as a, a waiter, and I think working in that was really important because it was like. If you, if you don't do well at this, you're going to end up here. And it was a constant reminder of, I don't want to end up being a waiter for the rest of my life. But like, um, it, it, it did give me a lot of grounding in that. And looking back on some of the decisions I made, like getting the undergrad done quicker was the best move I made. Mm-hmm. But had I not moved to, do, to go into the university or whatever, I, I wouldn't have started the Dini Crow show. So... You, you can't win them all, but like it, it does happen all for a reason. And then um, when I finished up in Griffith College, because like, I, I had loads of experience doing these interviews online, but I, I never really was properly trained in it. It was just more of a thing where I was just like, yeah, I think this is how you do it. Do you know? I, so I went to Dublin uh, for 12 weeks once, once a week, and I did the school of radio with Today FM. <laughs> and I, geez, that kind of blew my mind because we'd say I knew about 80% of it. But that 20% that I picked up was the best 20% ever. Figured out how to do interview styles, figured out how to do audio editing, and made loads of more social connections. And I think like people really don't figure out the weight of meeting someone in person and getting a good repertoire with them because Ireland particularly is so small. Like I can probably go to most counties now and I'll know someone there or, Oh, do you know this fella? Yeah, I do. And like, particularly online, it's a very small community as is. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's easy to build up a proper social network there offline, which is just as important as online. And uh, yeah, I, I just literally upskilling myself as much as I could with that. And once I, once I got trained up in the masters in digital marketing, she's like, I don't think I'll be looking back because again, as much as it was great to get it done, like, I understand the logic of marketing on a much more deeper level compared to the undergrad because it was more niched again. And I, I think really like focusing on niches in all aspects of our life is actually so important. It's, a, it's such a weird thing to think about. But uh, no, and look, I'm, I'm delighted with how it's after going, but there was loads of stages where I was like, my God, what the hell am I doing? Like, and I'm 25 now. I've finished college for, for forever. But like, <laughs> you never say never. Do you know that type of way? But I, I do think you always have to be kind of striving towards something mm. without putting yourself under too much pressure. And I, I've been lucky how things have worked out. I'm, I'm a bit of a bit of a, a lucky duck. <laughs> well, uh, I, I think there's there's a, an underlying plan somewhere through through all of that that. Um... <laughs> that's guided you to where you are now. And yeah, I, I just found it very, very interesting the way that you've, you've kind of evolved through time and to, to the point where you're at now. And obviously the, um, the, the, the bigger pageant events that you've obviously taken over is very interesting. So I guess if we, if we direct this conversation very gently towards um, the reasons that you, you kind of studied with Griffith College, if that's okay. So you studied the, the BA in business with Griffith College and, you know, can you, Tell me a bit more about why you decided to study that that course. 
Yeah, so I, to, to be honest, I was after, geez, I was after doing a year inside another university in a course I hated, but I, I always had this kind of idea. I don't know, was it through my mother I was, but I, I was going to become a teacher. And I, like, I, I kind of was always good at the business study side of things. And for, what, for whatever reason, I went back into a university again, did a month going teaching science teaching. I said, you know what, this just isn't for me. <laughs> And it, I had seen, I had seen, like I had, I knew about Griffith at the time. I, I'd researched it properly. And it just, it made way more sense to me, to be honest with you, because it was, you're only doing three years. You're getting the same piece of paper and you have the same um, job opportunities in terms of you can literally go and get a job, same as anyone else with a, with a level eight or whatever. Mm. And on top of that, I was able to work part-time as well, which was great. You know, I was doing the full-time um undergrad with them but it was ideal because we'd say my don't have all my lectures were put together there was no big gap there was no big like you know and it, it, look what was it the traditional college experience no but, but did it suit me completely because i didn't have any of that kind of like uh, distractions really and if i wanted to go like out on a thursday night i could we didn't have college on a friday so it was it really was kind of the perfect um spot for me anyway to do my undergrad I'd, I'd come from a grind school anyway so i was used to smaller numbers in the class but it was like geez like to go from a place where you might have a thousand students no one knows who who you are or cares who you are to like you, you know everyone by name inside in the college i mm. like it's it, it was a far better learning experience and i do think all that extra stuff i've been doing if i wasn't in griffith i wouldn't have been able to do it if that makes sense because i had that that free time and I was able to use the college as my studio effectively or whatever and but like that like even even things like doing to the parking on on site I know that sounds a bit like trivial but like to be able to say right I'm guaranteed to be able to park my car here every day makes it a lot easier to get up out of bed and drive <laughs> in, in the morning you know um but no I, I really enjoyed it and as well uh I was able to meet loads of people from other countries and get, get used to working with them and like the group work and stuff. And even with my masters, a lot of the students are international, international students. And a lot of the Irish guys kind of struggle to adapt with them, whereas I was well used to it. So, and people were like, oh, how are you so good at this? But I was like, oh, in Griffith, there's, there's like, um, very, it's very multicultural, which is great because most jobs now are multicultural anyway. So it's not a case of like, oh, it's only going to be, you know, Irish people are, do you know that type of way? You're going to always have different cultures and stuff. And you got to be able to work in that environment as well because most businesses are multicultural now anyway. Exactly. And um, yeah, very well surmised. And, and you know, it's, um, it, it's great that you, you decided to come and study with Griffith and you, you obviously sound very positive about your experience, which is always great to hear as well. So um, I guess if we go on to the, the kind of final two sections. Um, so the first, I've just kind of been, been asking all my guests this because we've lived through something that, that no one's lived through before. And it's that um, how has your kind of day to day changed with with the, the pandemic and the lockdown? And, and what kind of things will you be implementing in your life afterwards that maybe you, you hadn't considered before? Yeah, I, um, well, weirdly, I think I don't know, it was the stress of the masters or whatever, but I was after putting up a lot of weight. Well, I did, the whole pandemic thing got me running the roads, well, walking the roads at the start. Like, I kind of took up running. I can do a 5K now, which is something I never thought I'd be able to do. And yeah, I, I just think kind of watching my health a bit more and kind of making sure 
I'm active as much as I can without doing two extremes on the, the diet side of it as well. So yeah, definitely running has been my kind of goal to it's it's a it's a great thing to be into and great for the, the head and the heart as as people say, but definitely and I, I think as well, look, do you know what? I think the whole pandemic things I've shown people that like, you know, a lot of stuff doesn't really matter in life, you know. There are certain things that really do matter and I, I think a lot of people would have realized that. So like you probably have a lot of people changing jobs. And I, I think that was one thing that when I came out of it, I said, you know what, whatever job I go into next or whatever, when I finish the, the master's, I want to make sure I'll be happy at it. Because mm. uh, I think that, and I'm, I'm lucky now that I'm after finding a job that I think is that, and that there's a bit of a, I, I fit the company values, etc. And I, I think there'll be a lot more people being a bit more cautious about the jobs they'll go into, fingers crossed or whatever. But, you, you know what I mean? Making sure that, that work-life balance is is that, is that balance. And it's not 70-30. Because I think a lot of people would have been rushing around and tearing it. I, I know I was. I was, geez, I was. I was as bad as anyone. But like giving myself that time to kind of reflect and kind of assess how things are going is always good. And might, might be one of the few positives out of the whole thing. Great answer. And uh, surprising how many people have said health and fitness have, have been things that they've really, really you know, held on to throughout this, this last few months. And, you know, I'll hold my hand up and say exactly the same. It's just, you know, pounding the streets of Dublin has been, uh, been great for me. Um, so I guess if we move on to the, the kind of final section, uh, some quick fire questions. The first one is what's the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Um, my mom, my mom told me to don't sweat the small stuff. So I, 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 th I think that's it. She, she says it a good bit to me. So yeah, that's definitely it. It's a very good piece of advice. Um, and then what advice would you give to a recent graduate entering the job market? Um, well, that's exactly what I am. I would suggest keep trying. Literally don't stop until you start getting interviews. I think I sent out a hundred, I think I sent out a hundred CVs a couple of weeks back and heard back from one person, got one interview and I got the job, which I was very haunted haunted altogether but like that look there's a lot of there's a lot of jobs you just won't be suitable for and you know don't get disheartened with people telling you no just keep knocking until they they open the door for you <laughs> i would definitely second that advice um that's that's some very very strong advice there and then um what advice would you give to someone uh, who was who is commencing a college course uh, this september or this october uh, well, what, what I would say is definitely make sure that whatever course you're doing is something that you that you, you do really want to do. I think, geez, I'm after being through so many different college courses. It, it, it isn't a fun place to be that level of uncertainty. But I, I do think that there's an idea that college is going to be this mad party thing. It, re, it really isn't. Kind of particularly now, the way things are going, get, get the head down and focus on like what, what you want to achieve out of it because at the end of the day like that there's whatever there's plenty of time to be kind of going mad i'm going mad or whatever but like just try and figure out what it is you want to do and try your best to get get to that but uh, i i would say as well look there's no college course that is perfect and i think that was one thing i realized over time as well excellent excellent answer there um and then the last question uh, I ask every guest this question, uh, and it's how would you describe Griffith College in three words? 
It's normally um, one that stumps the guests, this one. <laughs> I would say, uh, well, friendly, uh, because the staff, the staff were, were so friendly. Um, organized, because all the classes were together, which is fantastic. And uh, a great decision, I suppose. I, uh, that's three words. Uh, fantastic. Yeah, I, 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 really, I, I, I really did enjoy my, my time in Griffith. I think it, it, it gave me such great foundation to kind of go further in my career and gave me so much free time that I could be doing whatever the hell I was up to a lot of the time with the, with the YouTube and stuff like that. So it, it, it was ideal for me and I would, I would highly recommend it and I, I always do when people ask me because it's, it's such a great thing for the, for the work-life balance. And uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, it was great to study there. It's uh, fond memories of the place. Perfect. Thank you so much for being the guest uh, with us today, Dennis. It's been uh, a great conversation. I, I found your, your story very inspirational and all the, the things that you've been doing alongside your, your studies throughout the years. So um, thank you very much for, for coming on and being the guest. And thank you everyone for, for listening along as well. And uh, that's the end of this episode.